Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by our lead pastor, Dave Ferguson, as we continue our series, Explore God. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. And now also on Monday nights at 6.30 p.m. We hope to see you there. All right. Good morning, community. How's everybody doing? Good. Okay. One great. All right. That's good. I'm with you. Um, It's good, good, good to be here. And I'll tell you what, you may not realize this, but I mean, we're going to have a terrific morning together here this morning. But in addition to all the stuff that's happening here, um, you may not know this, but our student community is on their their, their winter retreat and they call it BLAST. Um, They're up at the Kalahari and I assure you they are having a blast. Okay. But did you know this? We have 1,300, 1,300 uh, students and leaders that are part of that experience. And um, they are, yeah, they're having a good time, but it is that they are growing close to one another, closer to God, and making some life-changing commitments. And I think that is just an awesome, awesome thing. I love what's going on with our student community. And I think we got a picture. Do we have a picture of what's going on there? There you go. Check, a look, check that out. Is that awesome? Good stuff. I was like, why don't we just pause? Let's pause and pray for them. You can clap if you want. You can clap. Yeah. And uh, why don't we just, let's just say a prayer for them right now because they're up there. Father God, we want to say thank you that you have entrusted us with this many young people that are both interested and very excited about their relationship with you. Father, I ask that there are breakthroughs for people individually. There's breakthroughs for this community, that, that, that they experience your presence in a profound way, and they experience your guidance that can give direction, in some cases, for the rest of their lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good stuff. I'll tell you, we're going to jump right in here. And um, the notion of God, the notion of God or the idea of God, I mean, it's almost impossible for anyone in our culture to avoid it. Um, I mean, God's name is, is printed on our currency. Anybody, you remember this stuff? We used to actually pay, we used to use this to pay for stuff back in the day, okay? It's, it's called money. All right, and on the, if you look at the back of money, it actually says, it has God, in God we trust. Um, when we were kids, I think most of us uh, memorized the Pledge of Allegiance, and you can probably help me with, help me with this, because it finishes with the phrase, one nation under, exactly right. Our politicians, when they got a big significant speech, you know, or something important to say, they will often kind of crescendo the whole thing, and they'll say, and God bless America. And so God, the idea of God, it comes up in public life. It comes up in everyday life. And I think we can all agree that almost everybody thinks about it, wonders about it, and gives the notion of God some thought from time to time. And it's not just adults, also kids. Kids wonder about God. And in fact, they not only wonder about it, sometimes kids will even write letters to God. And we were able to actually get our hands on some actual letters that kids wrote to God. And um, we put it in a PowerPoint. And th- now, this isn't their handwriting, but this is the ex- these are what they said. And this one, I, these cracked me up. This is, this is from Brandon. Brandon's letter to God went like this. God, I bet it's very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. How do you do it? There are only four people in our family, and I can never do it. <laughs> Maybe Brandon's in your family. Um, or how about this one from May? This might make me laugh too. Dear God, you, are, are you really invisible or is that just a trick? <laughs> or here's one too, this one, this last one. Um, check this out. Maybe, maybe my favorite of all of them from Jackson. Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel wouldn't kill each other so much if they, didn't, if they had their own rooms. 
it works with me and my brother. <laughs> Sorry that his brother is killing him so much. And, you know, we get a kick out of it. It's easy to laugh at letters from, from kids and when, you know, maybe their questions or comments go unanswered. But I was thinking about this. If we're honest, if we're honest here, as adults, when our serious questions go unanswered about God, it can make God seem to us less than believable. Now, if you were here with us last week, you know, and if you're not, we will welcome you here. We are actually going through a series called Explore God, and we're doing this in partnership with somewhere around close to 800 to 1,000 churches all across Chicago land that are doing this in concert together. And um, one of the things I love about this series is what we're doing is we're addressing like seven of the biggest questions around faith and spirituality and God that people ask. Seven of the biggies. And, and we're not suggesting, okay, and we're going to get this clear. We're not suggesting, hey, you know what? Come seven weeks as we have all the answers and we're going to download all this information to you so you can get, get a clue. That's not what we're doing. What we're inviting you to do is to join us in an honest, genuine kind of exploration of these questions. Now, today's question, today's question is one that I think perhaps, and I want you to do a little reflection on this, maybe we've given a quick answer to but I wonder if we've given it as much thought as it deserves. And it's this foundational question, is there a God? Is there a God? Now, now sometimes those who deny the existence of God will contend that, well, well, they'll say, well, well-educated people don't really believe there's a God. And, and, and the truth is, some of history's most influential intellectuals are actually convinced that there is a God and do believe in a higher power of or a God. Now, I wish I had more time because we could probably give you dozens or even hundreds of different examples. I'm going to give you just two in the little bit of time we have here at the outset, and then we're going to go a little different direction. Let me start with this one. You'll recognize this guy, Albert Einstein, right? Probably the most recognizable and foremost scientist that we have in the 20th century. He said, he said this, everyone who's seriously committed to the cultivation of science, if you're serious about science, he said, you become convinced that in all the laws of the universe is manifest a spirit, a spirit that is vastly superior to man and to which we with our powers must feel humble. Essentially what he's saying, he says, if you're serious about this, you're going to recognize there's something else out there, a higher power or a God. Now, perhaps not quite as recognizable or well-known is a guy by the name of Francis Collins, a, an American physician. He led um, the Human Genome Project. And we were fortunate, fortunate enough to be able to actually get his own story in his own words, and here's how he tells it. Well, in the home where I grew up, uh, faith was not something that was talked about very much. Uh, my father was a professor of drama, my mother a playwright. Uh, when I went to college and those discussions in the dorm late at night about religion uh, began to occur, I had no particular reason to attach value uh, to a faith system. And I assumed that any religious feelings that anyone held must be on the basis of some emotional experience, and I didn't trust those, or on the basis of some childhood indoctrination, uh, which I felt I was fortunate to have missed. But then I ended up in the medical school curriculum sitting at the bedside of patients with diseases. This was no longer an abstract study of molecules and organ systems. These were real people. And one afternoon, one of my patients, uh, she had a particularly bad episode of chest pain uh, while I was with her. She got through it, and at the end of that, explained to me how her faith 
was the thing that helped her in that situation. And after she finished her own very personal description uh, of that face, she turned to me, and I had been silent, and she looked at me quizzically, and she said, what do you believe, doctor? And ultimately, I had to admit to myself that her question had made me realize that I had arrived at an answer to the most important issue that we humans ever deal with. Is there a God? And I had arrived there without ever really looking at the evidence. And I was supposed to be a scientist. If there's one thing scientists claim they do is to arrive at conclusions based upon evidence. And I hadn't taken the trouble to do that. I was greatly assisted uh, by a pastor who lived down the road who I went and asked about all this and who gave me a copy of C.S. Lewis's wonderful book, Mere Christianity. Within those pages, I realized for the first time that one can come to belief on a rational basis and that, in fact, given the many pointers that one sees around oneself in terms of the universe and it having a beginning, and it's fine-tuning in terms of the way in which all those constants that determine the behavior of matter and energy seem to have been set just in a certain very precise range to make life possible. That brought me then to the person of Jesus Christ. This was a historical figure upon which we have a great deal of evidence for his existence and his teachings, and even his rising from the dead in a literal way. That day at uh, my patient's bedside started a journey for me, a journey that I was reluctant uh, to begin, but I felt I needed to, a journey that I thought would result in strengthening my atheism, but to my surprise, resulted in my conversion. Interesting, huh? So here's kind of the bottom line on that. When you think about what, even what he says, too, you're going, you don't have to check your brain at the door when it comes to this conversation, and you're not inept if you believe in the existence of God. And so as we thought about this, this whole conversation and addressing this question of is there a God, there's a lot of different directions we could go. I mean, we could kind of spend the rest of the time kind of talking about very bright, educated, articulate, brilliant people who have said, yes, there is a God. We also thought, you know, what we could go, we could go down to the path of, there, there's lots of proofs that he even alluded to, um, evidences, apologetics that kind of convince you that yes, there, there, there must be a God. But as we thought about it, at the end of the day, our belief in God, think about this, our actual belief in God actually goes deeper than just an intellectual kind of engagement. Because while we are rational, we are not just and merely only hyper-rational robots. We are rational, but in addition to that, we're also emotional. We're also intuitive. We're also relational. And when you put all those things together, I mean, we, we are kind of a, a mix of re- something that's remarkably complex and sophisticated. And so in order to answer the question of, is there a God? I don't think it could be only, it should be partly, but it shouldn't be only intellectual. It also has to be holistically kind of experiential. Experiential. And sometimes you can find yourself grappling with this question in ways you didn't expect for reasons that you didn't anticipate. I remember for me, the very first, the very first time that I had, to, I had to wrestle with this question, is there a God? I was a young adult. And as a young adult, I, w- I was praying about a particular issue. There was something I, I, mean, I, I w- was going on in my life that I really wanted to resolve. The, the, book, the, the Bible tells us you know, to seek wisdom and God will give you wisdom. And I'm praying for an answer. And I'm praying for an answer over and over and over again for a long period of time, seeking God on this particular issue. You know what I'm talking about? You, maybe you've had these kind of situations. And I felt like, 
no matter how I prayed or what I prayed or how long I prayed, it felt like my, my, my prayers kept just kind of bouncing off the ceiling. They weren't like they weren't getting to him. They weren't getting anywhere. And, and as I continued to pray about this and pray about this and pray about this and, I, and, and it felt nothing, I, I started to slowly almost come to the conclusion that, that, well, either God's just ignoring me or maybe God doesn't care or maybe, maybe he can't hear me or perhaps, perhaps he doesn't exist. That, that's how it felt. That's how it felt to me. And as a young person, I remember genuinely doubting God and then thinking, you know what? All right, maybe there is a God, but if there is, he is just distant and unresponsive. And that's what philosophers call a deistic view of God. Now, at that point in time, I could have given you a very a philosophical and even a theological reason, okay, intellectual reason for believing in God, why it made sense intellectually. I mean, I had a degree in, in, in Bible and theology, but in that moment, it didn't matter because it didn't feel like, you know what I'm saying? It didn't feel like God was real in my own experience. And part of the reason I want to go there is I have a hunch that almost every one of us in this room have had some kind of experience like that. And maybe even this morning, you're in the middle of that. Where there was a time when God seemed so real to you, but then you came to a point in your life where someone or something came along and it just, it, it crushed you, it devastated you. And in the process, now God, he felt like, he begins to feel like this, this distant relative that lives on the other side of the planet. Or maybe for some of you, you were part of a church and you had a, someone you, in that church that you considered a friend, or maybe it was a church leader that you looked up to and they burned you stabbed you in the back or let you down. And you thought, you know what? If that's what God's people are like, then I want nothing to do with them or him. And for others of you, maybe you never got that close, but from a distance, it felt like anybody who kind of was like kind of God's people, they were always kind of narrow-minded or, or petty or arrogant. And you're going like, you know what? I don't want anything to do with them or their God. And if that's your experience or something similar that's your experience, I don't blame you for feeling the way you do. Now, hold on to that, Okay. Having said that, at the same time, okay, we're here to explore, right? Give me a little nod. We're here to explore. Explore God. Here, here's what I, I want to suggest this. You had that experience, but my bet is your experience is broader than just those experiences. I bet there's also, and I swear I want to go this morning, I bet there have been other moments in your life that actually pointed you the other direction toward God. There's moments of awe, moments of wonder, moments that, that kind of, of kind of the, that inside where you felt like there, there, there was pulling you towards something but greater than just yourself that even maybe at times took your breath away. And I would call these moments in life along the way, I'd call them signposts, okay? Signposts. Say that after me, signposts. Because I want to take you on a little bit of a journey. And my hope, my hope is that in the coming days and weeks and even months from this point on in your own journey, you'll begin to look for these signposts. Because now here's the thing about these signposts. These signposts, they will actually point you towards God. But they're not enough to actually kind of prove intellectually, conclusively that there's a God. These signposts, will re- there's something that resonates deep within you. And they point you towards something bigger than yourself. Let me, let me give you, here's, here's one signpost to start with. The signpost of beauty. 
The Signpost of Beauty. N.T. Wright wrote a book called Simply Christian, and you already heard Dr. Collins reference mere Christianity. If you're on this exploration, you have not yet read mere Christianity. I encourage you to do that, but I also encourage you to write, uh, to read this, a book by this guy here, N.T. Wright, called Simply Christian. In the pages of that, here's one of the things he says about beauty as a signpost pointing towards God. He says this, we must acknowledge that beauty, whether in the natural order or within human creation, is something so powerful that it evokes our deepest feelings of awe, wonder, gratitude, and reverence. And my hunch is, I bet, I bet almost everybody in this room has had, one, had this experience, this experience, this signpost. Uh, I remember the very first time I got invited to speak in, uh, in Norway. And I've been there probably three or four times now. And I was, I was invited to speak in a place in the southern part of Norway called Stavanger, Norway. And, and I spoke at this leadership conference. And after I spoke at the leadership conference, uh, the host there, they wanted to show off, they wanted to show off their beautiful country. And it is a spectacular country, especially if you go there when the weather's good. And uh, they wanted me to see the fjords, okay? The fjords there. And they took me to this one place called Pulpit Rock. And uh, here's, here's a picture. It is awesome. And what do, what do you, you know what people always say when they show you a picture? But the picture doesn't what? It doesn't, right, doesn't do it. Even that picture, it doesn't do it justice. I'm telling you, I mean, the, there, there were these unbelievable mountains and, the, and these deep well, wells. Where, and then there's the water that's rushing and the colors are spectacular. And actually, this place right here called Pulpit Rock is about almost as big as this entire building. And it jettisons out, way out over the water. And you can kind of lean over the edge. And I mean, if you, and you could fall. And you would fall to your death like a thousand times, okay? But it is just breathtaking. And I'm there, okay, on this beautiful day. They did take this picture. And I was just like, there is no way that this happened by accident. Some, there's some great artist who's sort of like, I'm going to do this. And it was. It was one of those, you know, the moment. And sometimes you have those moments. For me, I also get when, when I'm by the ocean. You get up when you're by the ocean. You're just going, it, it, there's a wonder, there's an awe about it. Sometimes I get that same kind of experience when I watch a great movie that has a great story or, or occasionally even if I have a good meal, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And here's what beauty does. Beauty points us to a divine artist, a mind who's created and orchestrated a good and well-ordered, spectacularly beautiful world. One, poem from the old, one poet from the Old Testament put it this way. Look at this. I think this summarizes it. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the works of his hands. Beauty, beauty calls us out of ourselves to something bigger, greater, and grander. And then it resonates deeply within us. Let me give you another signpost. Okay, and you need to be watching for these. They'll point you towards God. Another signpost. I think another signpost, yes, there's beauty, but I think also Justice. And I would say specifically, let me frame it this way, the longing for justice. The longing for justice calls us to something bigger. Martin Luther King Jr., who we're going to celebrate this weekend, he put it this way, paraphrasing from the prophet Amos. He says, no, no, we are not satisfied. We will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. And what MLK spoke about is something that's inside all of us, this longing for justice. In fact, I'll tell you what. You travel to the, to the nearest playground 
Well, not now because there's snow everywhere, but if you get to the nearest playground when it's warm out and there's kids out there, or even in your house, you got kids in there, in there running around your house, somewhere not too long, you'll hear one of them yell at the other one and then come yelling to you, that's not fair, right? Kids ever said, that's not fair. Hold it, that's not fair. Mom, that's not fair. Dad, that's not, that's not fair. Where does that come from? Where does that come from? This sense of fairness and justice. See, somewhere inside all of us, we long, okay, for the world to be put right. We know the world is not as it should be. And there's plenty out in that world that puts the beauty part of God at risk. And and I've heard it described like this. Our world is like a child with a broken leg. Our world is like a child with a broken leg. And it needs to be set right and fixed. The bone needs to be set and given time to heal. I I remember my, um, it was the first time I took a trip into into a, it's really a poverty kind of a country. And I was actually in Haiti. Haiti's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And when I was in Haiti, I was not only was in Haiti, but I was in Port-au-Prince, which is the capital city, but not only in Port-au-Prince, but then actually in City Soleil, which is, the, which is a, a section of Port-au-Prince that's the poorest part of Port-au-Prince. And City Soleil means city of the sun. And I remember as, as, as a young person walking, kind of being guided through walking through City Soleil. And it was almost, because I hadn't, I hadn't experienced this before, it was almost overwhelming. I mean, you had kids running around who were completely naked, had no clothes. You walk a little further and you'd see houses. I mean, they weren't really houses. They were like lean-to kind of shacks that, I mean, you would, nobody in this room would store their lawnmower or snowblower in it. And, and, and then I, and I looked down on this dirt road and on each side of this dirt road was just running sewage. And in that moment, for me, and I, I don't, I'm not necessarily proud of this, but this is just how I felt. I, I just wanted to reach inside my pockets, okay? And anything that I had, I just wanted to throw it like this. I just want, and part of it is because like, whatever I had, I didn't want to have so much. I just didn't want to be responsible for it. Because everything inside of me was welling up saying, it's not fair for me to have so much and for them to have so little. And maybe you know what it's like. Like maybe at times you're watching the news or you're, or you're reading the paper or you're, or you're catching up with what's going on in the world online and you read about the murders and, and, and the violence in our city and how it actually ends up being mostly relegated to certain, like on the south side or the west side. And, and then you, you hear about that and you go, it's not fair. It's not fair that, that some kids have to grow up in that just based on zip code. It's not fair. Or, or maybe you read about violence or, or hate against a particular people group because of the color of their skin, their religious beliefs. And there is, you get angry about it. You go, it's not fair. Where does that come from? Ask yourself, where does that come from? Are you so good? Were you just born knowing all that? Where did that come from? See, C.S. Lewis, the author of Mere Christianity, he, he asks that question and he comes back. Let's go to the next slide. And he says this. He says, human beings all over the earth have this, I love the way he teases us. They have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and cannot really get rid of it. See, what, what Lewis believed was that there are moral facts in the universe that every civilization believes. Like, you should not betray a friend. 
You should not lie to a family member. And if you do that, it goes against kind of a moral virtue. And so Lewis, C.S. Lewis concluded that this moral order always points to a source of morality to God. A God who's concerned with justice and wants his people to be concerned with fairness. I'm telling you, if we open our eyes, there's these signposts that point us to God. There's beauty. This longing we have for things to be just. But there's also our desire for relationships. Our desire for loving relationships. Now, you might be um, in a season where you're going, you know what? I've just sworn off dating. I've sworn off people. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Okay? And we all go through seasons like that. We're okay. Well, I'm done. But you know what? At the end of the day, all of us, we want to be with other people. We want to love and be loved. And when we are, when we experience the way God intended, okay, you know what that, it is? There's something about those those kind of just right relationships that point us, going like, man, this is, point us towards God. And maybe, maybe you've experienced it at the birth of a child. And if it's your own child, I mean, how you already love this little person that you don't really even know. Or maybe it's at a wedding. Maybe it was your own wedding. I mean, that, this is exactly how it's supposed to be. Or maybe it's sometime, you, you know, a shared meal with some friends and, or family and, and it goes to a deeper level of, of, of what's really going on in life. For me, I think one of the signposts about relationships in particular has to do with my family. Um, it's a signpost that points me to, uh, to God. Now, that's my family. That is not a particularly good picture. <laughs> um, actually, I think after the first service, my wife texted my daughter and she said, why, why? <laughs> why is he putting that on the screen? Well, let me tell you why. Okay, here's why I picked this picture. This was a moment for me. It was one of those moments for me where I, I, I just was felt with gratitude and it was kind of like, and it pointed me towards God. The, um, my, my daughter, uh, my daughter Amy, just this last year started getting into running for the very first time. I got two boys. My two boys, uh, Josh and Caleb, they, they've, they've been distance runners both in high school and in college competitively. Actually, Caleb was a, a uh, steeplechase All-American this last year. So they've been running for a long time. But this year, for some reason, just kind of clicked. Amy decided she wanted to start running. So she ran a 5K, and then she ran a 4-mile, and then she decided she wanted to run a 10K, and she, and she came to me and said, hey, Dad, I want to run a 10K. Would you run it with me? Oh, right, which is kind of nice, right? And I was like, sure, I'll do that. And uh, so we were going to run the rock and roll 10K in Chicago. We get on the starting line, and seriously, we get on the starting line, and it just starts pouring, just starts pouring rain. I mean, we haven't even started running. We're waiting to take off, and it just pours on us. And, um, but it was kind of fun because... The two boys, and Amy's been to, I mean, probably hundreds of their track meets and cross-country meets, and, and she goes and cheers for them. Well, this time, she's running, and I'm running with her, and her two brothers are on the sideline cheering for her along with her mom. And so they're, they're on the sidelines, on the sidewalk over here, and it's, it's kind of funny, because they would take off running to get ahead of us, and then we'd catch up with them, and then they would cheer, go, Amy, go, Dad. And then they would take off and they'd run way ahead of us, like a half mile. And then they'd stop. Go, Amy, go, Dad. And they'd run another half mile. I mean, it's a little disturbing when the people on the sides are running way, way faster than the people in the race. Okay? But that was happening. But I'll tell you what. In in the middle of all this, and this is at the end of the race, um, there was just something about getting to watch my daughter push herself to do something she'd never done before. Her asking me to be a part of it. Having her brothers, right, on the side, I mean, like, cheering their hearts out for her along with her mom, and then all of us being together at the end. I mean, 
like when I, when I got married, I loved my wife, Sue. I, I was like, oh, I want to I get married, Sue. But I never even thought about having kids. I don't know why. I just wasn't in the, I don't know, I, I don't know what was the matter. I never thought about having kids. It was totally her idea. And, <laughs> and, and I look at this, and I mean, to me, this, this was God's idea. I love those people so much. I mean, and, and when we're in that moment, and you know, and it's not always that way, because sometimes we're going, mm-hmm. but when we're in this moment like this, it's kind of like it points me like, wow, there had, this had to be God's idea. You know what I'm saying? And I just want you, I want you, I want you to get this, okay? Because I think the early Christ followers got that the God is love. And when you feel that, here, here's the verse right here. Let's go to the, God is, when you feel that, it's a signpost that points us towards God. You're going to walk out those doors, okay, over the next day, the next week, and there's going to be different signposts. And you're either going to notice them or you're going to miss them. There's going to be beauty. There's going to be this longing for justice because things aren't right the way they should be, the way God intended them to be. There's going to be relationships that sometimes get it just right. And I want you to understand, they are there to help you not just know about God, but to notice God. Not just to know about God, but they're there to help you notice God in your life. They help us experience this rich, full presence of God. It, it, make, it makes me think of um, kind of listening to music, and here's why. I just, I recently got rid of, I, have, I had an old uh, 05 Honda Civic um, that was just nasty. I hated that car. And um, I mean, everything quit working. The air conditioning quit working. The radio quit working. The CD player quit working. The muffler dropped and was dragging on the... It was, you would have been embarrassed to have me as your pastor. Um, I was embarrassed to myself. But anyway, so I got rid of it. I got, I got, a, I got a, a, a Mazda CX-5. And um, what's kind of cool, though, is the biggest difference between my old car and my new car is the biggest thing, really, is actually listening to music. Because before, everything quit working. In the old car, one of the, one of the speakers had burst and only had like one speaker. And... Let me give you an example. Here, here's some music, and here's what it would have sounded like in my old car. And that was when it was good, okay? Now, here's what it sounds like in the new car. Actually, it doesn't sound quite that good, but that's because that's pretty good. <laughs> but here's what I want you to get. The same music, right? Same music. But the second experience is more like the original artist intended. And I think God gives us signposts along the way so that we can experience life more like he intended. Beauty, justice, relationships. To give us a richer fuller experience of life and along the way not just know oh yeah there's a god but to actually notice to notice to notice god let's pray father god i want to say thank you that you're a god who didn't just create and then stop creating but you continue to create you continue to do new things you continue to be involved in our world you continue to to show up in remarkable ways so that we can not just get to know you, but notice you and have a loving relationship with you. Father, 
I ask that for every one of us in this room, that this be a, that this be a, an inflection point in our own spiritual journey, that from this point on, as we move forward, we don't just know you, but we notice you over and over again and how you're involved and active in our lives. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.